All right. So let me talk to you about this. John 16 and 13, Jesus says this. He's teaching about the role of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you know how to get our attention. Put our confidence, our hope, and our trust in you, Jesus. We thank you that you created us on purpose for a reason. We are not here by accident. You are in control. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. I love this verse because it reminds me that hearing God begins with God. That's important for a lot of you to understand this morning because you think that hearing God begins with you. You think that maybe your inability to hear God is a you problem. That maybe you aren't in tune enough. Maybe you're not spiritual enough. Maybe you don't read your Bible enough. Maybe you don't come to the right service. Maybe the 1130 service is the actual anointed service around here, but you don't know. And I think if we, are, if we aren't careful, we will think that hearing God begins with us. But it doesn't begin with us. Hearing God begins with God. Jesus said, he will see, he will hear, and he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you. I don't know how many of you have just read your Bible all the way through. But what I see when I read the Bible is a lot of people who do not really have the ability to hear God and aren't even really often looking for God, but somehow still encounter God. Why is that? It's because if God wants to get your attention, God knows how to get your attention. Last week, we talked about Samuel. We talked about how Samuel's just hanging out in the temple and he's sleeping and all of a sudden, God starts to call him by his name. Time after time after time again, we see a God who when he wants to get a hold of us, knows how to get a hold of us. And a lot of us focus sometimes on our inability to get a hold of him. But I want you to rest in the fact that if God wants to get a hold of you, God knows how to get a hold of you. God knows right where you are. He knows your exact location. You are not missing when it comes to God. He knows where you are and he knows how to get a hold of you. Acts chapter 9. The Bible says that a man named Saul is actively persecuting Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what God says to him when he encounters him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? This giant light shines. The voice of the Lord speaks to him and he hears from God. 
In Exodus chapter 3, God wanted to get the attention of Moses and so he set a bush on fire and that bush was not consumed. I just came to tell somebody today that maybe you're putting too much of the emphasis on you and not enough of the emphasis on God. And sometimes we are trying to force God to speak to us what we want Him to say to us <laughs> instead of learning how to wait until He, <laughs> he decides to speak to us. Oh, man, I think a lot of our prayer time is spent trying to manipulate God into doing what we want God to do instead of saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Mm, okay. So I want to I talk to you about this because there's another story in Numbers chapter 22 about a man named Balaam. And uh, Balaam is an interesting character because Balaam has this uh, ability to speak for God and these people come to Balaam and they want him to declare a curse over a group of people. But Balaam goes and he talks to God about it. And God says, no, I don't want you to do that. And then a, another group of people come, a, a more elite group of people come and more people come. And they ask him again. And Balaam says, I'll go to God and I'll, I'll ask him again what he thinks. But even if you offered me everything in the world, he's like, I would not do what God doesn't want me to do. And he goes to God and he asks God, can I go with them? And he says, he says something very specific. And, and if you miss it, you'll think that Numbers 22 is a, is a contradiction. Because God says to him, if they come to you the next day, if they come to you and they ask you to come with them again, then you can go with them. Well, the Bible says that Balaam wakes up the next day and he gets all of his stuff together and he just starts to follow them. They didn't come and ask him to follow them again. And as Balaam starts to leave, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord... <laughs> shows up, but Balaam cannot see the angel. The only thing that can see the, anim the, the angel is the animal that Balaam is riding on. And, and sometimes we become so convinced of the way we are going that even if an angel showed up, we still wouldn't be able to see it. That's why last week was so important for us because when we get a word from God, we, we, we need to make sure that we get a little collaboration with that word because sometimes people in our lives can see things that we are unable to see. And this time God is using a donkey to get Balaam's attention. I just came to tell you today that however God has to get your attention, God will get your attention. And the Bible says that this happens to Balaam where he gets stalled by this donkey three different times. So <laughs> this, uh, this, this donkey sees the angel. And the first time he sees the angel, he's on a path. And the first time he sees the angel, the Bible says that the donkey veers off path and goes into the grass. And I, I thought about this when it comes to how God gets our attention. That we are going one way. The Bible says many are the plans of man. But it's the Lord's will that will be established. I, I think one of the ways God gets our attention is he frustrates our plans. Right? We have this idea. We're going on this journey. We've got this plan in front of us. And we're going on this road. And then all of a sudden God frustrates those plans. And then we get thrown into the grass. And we think that the whole world has turned against us. And the devil is attacking us. But could it be that God 
is opposed to us. It, not in the sense that God dislikes you, but in the sense that God is opposed to the direction you are going. And because God loves you, he will oppose your direction. And sometimes you will feel like you are off course. But could it be that isn't the devil? Could it be that sometimes in life when we feel off course, it's because we made plans without God? And God, to keep us from going in the wrong direction, stops us from doing what we are doing, even though we have convinced ourselves that we are doing the right thing. How does he do that? Sometimes God uses, see, there's some stuff that you always think is the devil, but sometimes it's God. Can I tell you, sometimes God uses confusion. You're like, Robbie, I don't know about that. Well, let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. This is the story of some people who decided they were going to build a tower. And the Bible says that when they decided to build this tower, they said to themselves, let's build a tower that reaches up to heaven, not so we can communicate with God, not so that we can have a closer relationship with God. They say so that we can make a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower. And so what does God do? God comes down and he confuses their languages because he recognized as long as they are able to communicate there is, and as long as they are unified, there is nothing that can stop them from doing this. Notice this. God doesn't come and knock over their tower. God confuses them by causing them all to speak in languages that none of them understood And so they couldn't talk to one another anymore. And so their plan failed. Could it be that sometimes you miss God because you're waiting for God to come down and step on your Lego house, (laughs) blow over your house of cards that you have built for yourself, but instead God is confusing you on a way forward with it. And some of y'all are like confused about a way forward and you're blaming the devil. But could it be that God has caused you to be confused because God doesn't want you to continue? Could it be that right now you're confused about that relationship and you're not sure? Maybe we should get married. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe it's not the devil. Maybe it's the fact that God doesn't want you to continue in that relationship. Oh, my goodness. I just it is so quiet in this room today. But I told my wife on the way over here, I was like, babe, this is going to be a quiet one. I think sometimes we're like, you know, I'm confused. I can't be. God, could it be that in order to frustrate your plans, God has to confuse you? I was going this direction, but all of a sudden, and things look good. But all of a sudden, I'm off course. And we're like rebuking the devil. And we're shouting till the walls come down and nothing's changing. If you're rebuking the devil and nothing is changing, I want to suggest to you it's not the devil. 
but here's where we get. We rebuke the devil and then we just assume, oh, I, there's, I don't have enough power to rebuke the devil. So we get friends to come and rebuke the devil with us. And then we, you know, we try to get an alliance of people who are going to rebuke the devil with us. And, and I understand all of that. We, but the Bible doesn't say rebuke the devil and he might flee. Rebuke the devil and he'll think about fleeing. The Bible says rebuke the devil and he will flee. And then, and so we rebuke the devil and we're like, he didn't flee because I'm still this or I'm still that or this is still happening. Maybe we should consider the fact that it isn't the devil because when we rebuke the devil, he's supposed to flee. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll go down this like whole lane of, of oh my gosh, this is, this, is a, this is a spiritual attack. And then, then, we, then we start getting into weird stuff and then we start like you know doing incense at the door and and all and then we get into weird talk and weird confusion and weird theology come on somebody because we think and we are convinced that 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 God could not be opposed to this how could God be opposed to something I want so bad isn't he supposed to give me what I want God is not obligated to give you one thing that you want. The only thing God is obligated to provide for you in is his perfect will and plan. Sometimes it's like, if it wasn't God, I wouldn't want it this bad. Oh, okay. If it wasn't God, I wouldn't want it like this. I want to... Another thing that God uses, restlessness. It's another thing we blame the devil for. Not sleep. Why aren't you sleeping? Well, the devil's attacking me. I mean, it's possible. But again, if we rebuked him, And then some people are like, well, maybe I'm not saying the name of Jesus right. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm saying Jesus when I should be saying Yeshua. You know, there's this movement, you know, where it's like, it's not Jesus anymore. It's Yeshua because that's, that's his real name and nobody's saying his real name. There's a man in the Old Testament who looked at the sky and he goes, son, stand still. And God didn't correct his statement. Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? Y'all know the son is already standing still. And this dude told the son to stand still. God didn't come down and be like, you know, I would have done it, but you didn't say it like your science was off. Like it's not technically the sun that goes around. It's the earth that goes around the sun. But You're not going to get to heaven and God go, you know what? You said Jesus. <laughs> Not Yeshua. <laughs> you know, you messed up. You said Jehovah Shalom instead of Jehovah Nisi. You know, you got them mixed up and you didn't know what you were talking about. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's your fault. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So he uses restlessness. Esther. Chapter 6. 
verses 1 through 3. The Bible says that one night, the king was restless and he couldn't sleep. So he got out of bed and he ordered that the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, be brought to him and read. Man, that's a, that's a cool place to be in when you just command people to bring stuff in your room and read it to you. That's like... And the Bible says here that he heard about Mordecai who had done a good deed and had not been rewarded for it. So it was found, recorded, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh for their stupid names. And then the two of the king's <laughs> officers, that's terrible, the two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, they, they had conspired to kill the king and Mordecai had exposed them. And he had never been rewarded for this. So this whole process starts. So the king is like, so whatever happened to Mordecai? And people are like, he didn't get anything. So he calls Mordecai's enemy, Haman. Now Haman has been planning to kill Mordecai and the entire Jewish nation. So the king calls Haman. And when Haman comes in, the Bible says Haman thought the king was calling him because who else would the king want to bless other than him? So when he gets in, the king is like, hey, I want you to go get Mordecai and I want you to bless him. And he's like, okay, interesting. So the Bible says he goes home and he cries about it for a little bit. And then this whole thing, his whole plan to destroy the people of God is uncovered. And when, when, when the king finds out about it, because Esther tells him, the Bible says, the king is like, what are we going to do with him? Somebody says, hey, well, he set up a pole at his house that he was going to use to kill Mordecai. And the king's like, throw him on it. And so the thing that the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good, right? So the enemy had, was trying to destroy Mordecai, but God used restlessness to expose the situation. And maybe there is a lack of victory in your life because you see restlessness as this thing the devil's trying to do and maybe it's God trying to keep you awake so that he can awaken you to something. And, and, and instead of being there at 3 o'clock in the morning like, I can't sleep and taking medication and drinking NyQuil, maybe God is saying, hey, I'm trying to show you something I need you to get up out of your bed. I need you to open up your word. I need you to get on your knees. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to expose you to something that's harming your life. But you think restlessness is always from the devil. Oh, I need five hours. We'll be back next Sunday. Praise the Lord. So the first time, right? So the first time the angel of the Lord opposes Balaam, the donkey sees the angel. He goes off. He deters from the path he was going and goes off into the field. And the Bible says that Balaam gets mad and he beats him. And when we, when we don't see the accurate source of the frustration, we will, we will get angry at the wrong things. And some of y'all are mad at your spouse and mad at your kids and mad at your boss and mad at everybody but you. All right. 
and you are abusing the things that are actually trying to save your life. So Mordecai, or I'm sorry, uh, Balaam hits the donkey and the donkey starts again. And the Bible says this time the angel of the Lord shows up. It's like pulls a sword out and the donkey backs up and he runs into a wall. And the Bible says, and it crushes Balaam's foot. Ooh. This is the one we do not like about God is that God will allow injury. <sighs> See, there is a misrepresentation and and one of the one of the frustrations that even 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 secular people have with Christianity with Christianity is that some of them have tried it and it wasn't this utopia of all your dreams coming true that they thought it was. It was actually an invitation to suffer. The invitation to serve Jesus is not an invitation into a utopia. That's, that's, that's heaven, that's, that's coming, but that is not earth. While we are on earth, Jesus said, you will suffer. You will be hated, you will be persecuted, you will be harmed, you will be injured for my name. He said to his disciples, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And it's, it's a wild thing when we, when we serve a God who told us everything we would go through, but then we're shocked when it actually happens. That's because we believed in a Christian utopia where the government loves us and everybody likes us and we're cool and we're the... Sometimes God allows injury. Oh, Robbie, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know about. I don't know about that, Robbie. I, you know, that's that's a little. That's a little out there, Robbie. Um, I just. I'm not sure about that. If if that were true, maybe there would be some Bible for it. But you know, if you can show it to me in the Bible, then maybe I'll believe that. Okay, First Peter four nineteen. <laughs> So then those who suffer according to God's will. Oh, hold up. Those who suffer according to God's will. I'm going through a tough time, Robbie. This can't be God's will. Things aren't working out in my life, Robbie. This can't be God. I don't know. And here's, here's my problem with, with, with everything that bad happens to us being the devil. Is that most of life is a struggle. And that would mean that most of my life is in control of the devil. Most of life is difficult. And if the devil is responsible for all of the difficulty in life, then that would be most of the time that I spend here on earth is spent under the sovereignty of Satan. But he ain't that big. That's why I have to trust that even when I suffer, 
that God is still engaged in my life and he hasn't walked out on me. That, that even when things don't make sense, it's, it's not, I, here's your problem. You keep giving the devil all the credit. God's like, why do you act like the devil has so much authority in your life? He's defeated. He's under your feet. He's the name of Jesus away from exiting the premises. And you're running around scared of a devil that has to leave when you call on a name that is greater than his name? You think that your life is... But it's easier to blame the devil, I think, sometimes because we can't understand why a God who's supposed to be good would allow bad things to happen. Here's where you're wrong. Your assumption is that you deserve to live at all. Your assumption is, is, that, is that you've earned the air you're breathing. Your assumption is that you deserve good health. Your, <laughs> your, your assumption is that you deserve a nice home. Your assumption is that you deserve a nice job. Your, your assumption is that you deserve that income when we should wake up under the assumption every day that we don't deserve anything, every breath that we have is a gift from God. That's why Job was able to say, if he gives it or if he takes it away, blessed be his name. Because he realized, I didn't deserve any of it in the first place. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is actively persecuting the church, remember? And the Bible says that God blinded him to get his attention. I don't like this any more than you do. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build a church that... <laughs> that is prepared for what is coming. I'm not trying to build a church that thinks we're supposed to live in this Christian utopia where everybody loves us and everybody agrees with us and we're always everybody's favorite and everything goes right in our lives and we never get any bad reports and we never suffer and nobody in our life ever dies before we think they should die and we never get diseases that we think we shouldn't get and we never suffer things that we think we shouldn't suffer. I, I came because I need to remind you of what the Bible actually says about your life before you build your life on sand. And then stuff happens in your life and you're like, but God, you said, I never promised you that. I just told you that I'd never leave you. I never told you your health would always be perfect. I never told you you would always live in the best neighborhoods. I never told you that you wouldn't suffer and be persecuted. I never told you any of those things. And so when those things start happening to us, we start to wonder, is God even real? And that the reason you feel that way is because you have built your life on a word God never gave. That's sand. 
And that's why when the wind comes and the waves come and the bad doctor report comes and the loss of life comes and the tragedy comes and the divorce happens and the kids walk away and things don't work out, that's why you're like, God, you start to question the reality of God. When those, th- those things are not meant to cause you to question God's reality, those things are caused, those things happen to make you dive deeper into the reality that he will never leave you nor forsake you. They are meant to draw you and push you into him who is your only hope. I remember reading an article by a basketball player. His name was Landry Fields. And this guy was a great NBA player. He was a starter for the New York Knicks. He played for the Toronto Raptors. But, but in his career, he started to get injury after injury after injury. And he said, suffering is the funeral of our dreams. And it's where God's dreams are resurrected in our lives. I, I, I don't know who I came to talk to this morning, but the way he said this, he said, he said was, I was, I, 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 was, I was using my NBA career to pursue everything that I wanted, sex, drugs, alcohol, opportunity. And it was only until I had all of that stuff taken from me that I realized that none of that was what I wanted anyway. I wanted him. I wanted him. I wanted him. And anything that is an idol in your life has the potential to be taken from you. First Peter 2 and 21 says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Oh, I, I want to I follow in Jesus' steps where he got a big house and a big car and he didn't take any of those. Are y'all hearing me right now? Some of y'all are like, some of y'all are like, man, I visited the wrong church this morning because I wanted to be blessed. This was the year of my Bentley, 22. And I'm not saying that none of that can happen for you, and I'm happy if it does, but don't equate those things with God's favor on your life. Don't, don't equate a lack of things with God's not, favor not being on your life. God's favor has never been about a surplus of things or a lack of things. God's favor has always been about his presence. I am favored not because the car I drive. I'm favored not because the job I have. I'm favored not because of the health I have. I'm favored because he is with me. And if he is with, if God be for me. Well, Robbie, you know, I was listening to Christian television. I heard him say that it was God's will that everyone is healed. Well, you didn't read the Bible, and neither did that TV preacher. First Timothy 5 and 23. Paul, who is the author, he, t- he tells Timothy, Hey, Timothy, stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Timothy is the pastor of the largest church in the world at this time. And he's sick. How's that fit? In your utopia, TV preacher. (laughs) 
Just ask Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Proximity with Jesus does not mean that he will keep you from dying prematurely. Lazarus prematurely in our sense of how things should go. You could be like, but I'm close to Jesus. How's that happening to me? But I went to church four weeks in a row, Robbie. I thought that's what I was, I thought that's why I was going to church. So that I could avoid bad stuff. Uh, Second Timothy, Paul says again, 4, 19 through 20. By the way, Timothy was Paul's student, son in the faith. And Paul is running around healing everybody. Why in the world can he not just go tap Timothy on the head? First Peter 4, 19. Those who suffer according to God's will. Faith, does, faith will not give you more than what God has for you. We think faith is this mechanism that we like, we use to make God do stuff for us that he doesn't really want to do for us. A lack of faith can keep you from experiencing everything that God has for you. But faith will never give you more than what God has for you. 2 Timothy 4, 19, Paul says this. He says, Hey, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Hey, Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Yo, you were with him, Paul? And you left him sick? There's something we have to remember when we pray about anything. That God accomplishes His purposes in His own way. And we must submit to His right to do what He wants to do. Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now watch this. In this story with Balaam, notice the angel stops the donkey, but the donkey runs Balaam into the wall. The angel didn't injure Balaam's leg. God doesn't send sickness. He uses it. Remember, Paul wrote, he said, I have this thorn in the flesh. And I've asked God three times to take it away from me. The Bible says about that thorn, he said, God allowed it. Satan sent it. And God used it. That's how it works. God doesn't do it. Listen to me. 
Satan sent it, but God used it. Satan sent it, God allowed it, and God used it. I'm trying to help you here. Because if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll wrestle with scriptures. Well, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of life. So, so how could God be using this sickness? God doesn't send it. He uses it. Balaam decides he wants to do his own thing. He gets on his donkey, and his donkey sees the angel, and his donkey injures him. It's possible that the thing that you are blaming God for happening in your life was actually caused by your own stubbornness. It, God didn't mess up his leg. The thing he was riding did. So it's, it's, it seems so difficult, but it's not. Let me answer just a couple questions for you. Does God make people sick? No. Do people get sick? Yes. Why do people get sick? The fall of man. Sin has entered into the earth. God didn't send sickness. We chose it. Sickness came into the earth. And God will allow us to suffer the consequences of sin. And he will use the things that the enemy tries to do in our life. Again, he's not responsible for everything or he's sovereign over my life. But he is responsible for some things. Some of my issues aren't the devil at all. I cannot blame the devil for my high cholesterol. <laughs> Unless it's the genetic kind. The, the cheeseburgers from McDonald's are probably... <laughs> the issue. So how does God get my attention? God uses confusion that I feel, the restlessness that I have, the injuries that I suffer. And then the last thing he says, he, he hits the donkey again. And the donkey tries to move again, but this time the Bible says that he's surrounded. He, he cannot move. He's stuck. He tries to go right, he tries to go left, he cannot move. God uses the natural circumstances of life, those times in life where you feel like you can't turn to the right or the left, God uses those to get your attention. Because when your life is suffering on the ground, this is your opportunity to go to the air. 
in any military action, there is not just a ground game. There's an air game. And some of you are doing all you can on the ground. But you're not doing anything in the air. And what I mean by the air, this is where I'm talking about. This is where prayer enters into the equation because the way I get in the air as a believer is I pray. There, there is, there is when, when things on the ground are, are, are closing in, I go to the air. That's why in Habakkuk chapter 2, they would write this, Habakkuk 2, 1 through 2, he would say, he says, I will stand my watch, I will set myself on the rampart, and I will watch to see what he will say to me, and I will answer when I am corrected. In other words, if things are closing in on the ground, then I need to go higher. The Bible says about Jesus that he would climb up to a mountain to pray. And when you see in scripture, very often when people needed to get a proper perspective or to hear from God, they would, they would do that by climbing up. Zacchaeus climbs in a tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't climb in a tree so that Jesus can see him. God knows where you are. You don't have to do anything special so that God can see you. But sometimes you got to get a climb in your spirit that says, this isn't about God seeing me. This is about me seeing God. And so when I feel like I can't turn to the right or to the left and everything I'm doing feels opposed, I go higher. I go higher. That's why a pilot, when, when, when the wind is blowing and you're, you're feeling that shaking, what do they do? They go higher. They got to get above the clouds. They got to get above the turmoil. They got to get above the wind. They got to get above the storm. And some of y'all are comfortable just sitting in the middle of the storm, just like, this is cool. This is normal. You know, that's what happens when you hit turbulence. You turn to people and you're like, this is totally normal. It happens all the time. And I think in our lives, we've just become comfortable with it. You're like a professional flyer. You're just like turmoil hits. and You're like, no big deal. Oxygen masks are dropping down. You know, stewardesses are flying all over the plane. You're like, no problem. This is turbulence. This happens all the time. And you're, you're just content with staying in the turbulence. But God has a place that's higher for you. The reason God lets things close in on you on the ground is because he's trying to push you to the air. And I just wonder if there are some people in the room today who would say, God, I need to climb up higher. I'm being pressed on every side and I need to, I need to get up higher. I need to see better. Go ahead and stand on your feet. I'm going to end right here. So I got to get higher. Why? So I can, get a, I can get a higher perspective. Perspective helps me look at my life and see what God has done and what God is doing. Psalm 77 and 12, the psalmist writes this. He says, I'll remember your works and I will think about your mighty deeds. I think we need a perspective like this in our lives. I'll remember what you've done and I'll think about what you're going to do. I'll remember what you've done and I'm going to keep in my mind also how mighty you are so that when I face some obstacle in the future that seems like I can't overtake it and it's overwhelming me, I'll remember what you've done so that I have confidence for my future. Does anybody have confidence in your future because of what God has already done for you in your past?
to get higher. I got to get higher because if I'm not higher, if I don't have a prayer life, then I won't be able to, to see. I won't be able to, to see. And I'll be so surrounded by my circumstance. I'll be so surrounded by the bad report. I'll be so surrounded by the marriage not working. I'll be so surrounded by the kids acting out. I'll be so surrounded by the job loss that I won't be able to see what God is doing in the middle of all of it. God didn't send it, but God will use it. God will use it. God didn't cause it, but God will use it. 